how can I help? How can I be useful in ending needless suffering? Do not be afraid of work that has no end. We have to organize a social movement. We have an opportunity to lead by example versus just talking, hot air. I think the more people in this fight, the more we grow. Eventually it could change. You know, the people are the ones that can make the change. All right, everybody, welcome back. How many times have you turned on the TV or scrolled through social media and seen a report on the border? And depending on where you go for your information, everything's okay, or it seems like it's an utter and complete catastrophe. Wouldn't it be nice to actually talk to somebody who worked in and along the border for a long period of time? I think so. And that's why I'm super fired up for my conversation today with Vincent Rocco Vargas. Before we get into it, a few stats. According to the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Agency, in 2022 alone, 2.76 million undocumented immigrants crossed the border into the United States. It was the highest number on record. In 2022, 84% of the 14,104 pounds, you heard that correct, 14,104 pounds of fentanyl were seized at the southern border. And in that same year, 98 people on the terrorist watch list were detained at the southern border as well. My guest today knows a lot about these issues. Vincent Rocco Vargas. Previously, before his time in working with the Border Patrol, was a special operations combat veteran with the 2nd Ranger Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. And then he became a Star agent. That stands for Border Patrol Search, Trauma and Rescue Unit, which is attached to BORTAC, the Border Patrol Tactical Unit. He's also now post-military service, an actor, a writer, and a producer. If you want to see more of Rocco, well, you can see him on the FX series Mayans MC, and his book, Borderline Defending the Homefront, releases this fall. His experience gives him a truly unique perspective on border security, immigration policy, and the reality of what's happening at the U.S.-Mexico border. Before we get into your Border Patrol experience, yeah. tell me about how your grandmother came to the country, because I think it's a very interesting yeah. juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, so my grandmother crossed the border in El Paso when she was, I believe it was something around like 18. Um, she had a sister who was born, because at the time the borders weren't like this kind of solidified thing. People would come across and work and all that. My, my grandfather was born in America, so my grandfather was already here. He was a first-generation American. My grandmother came from Mexico, and they would come across here and there, but her sister passed away, and who was an American citizen, and my grandmother stole her identity so she could be an American citizen. So eventually she stayed, and they rooted up in Conotillo, uh, Texas, which is just kind of a, a small little connection to El Paso. And, um, you know, it was an interesting thing to hear. You know, my, my mother was, a, was, was raised in kind of like the poverty of hard work and, and agricultural work. You know, she, she, the family wasn't oblivious to picking fruit, picking cotton, you know what I mean? Um, they were just poor, you know what I mean? They were, they were poor. It was a, the poor era of, you know, a used toy for Christmas kind of time. You know what I mean? They were making it work. They, were, they believed in the American dream. They were working their ass off to try and make it, make it a thing. And they did well, you know, they did well. Um, and, you know, my grandfather tried to serve in the, in the army. And I think 
he got sick and got chaptered out at one point. <laughs> Something like I, I've, I've gone through their documents and checking. I'm like, did he serve, man? It's gonna be an awesome story. I'm like, oh, he got kicked out for medical reasons. Okay, fuck. You know what I mean? But, you know, he believed in America. That's cool. You know, what I mean? my great grandfather used to break horses for for the army. You know, that's cool. You know, so the family was very patriotic in a sense. Um, and my grandmother came here for the belief of of what America is, and she was always super proud of like everything I did, even when I was a boarder. She was proud of it, dude. She was just proud of me, you know? Uh, and so I started to kind of understand, like, Sergeant Barraza's look on it. You know, I started to understand, like, man, I'm proud of being an American, but I'm a Mexican-American, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's okay. You know, sometimes society wants to make it feel like it's not, right? Sometimes society wants to make me feel like, uh, you know, it's crazy, man. Sometimes I was too dark-skinned for some friends, and I was too light-skinned for others. Or I didn't speak good enough Spanish so I can be considered Mexican, Mexicano, Chicano, or, 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 or I was just dark enough where everyone would consider me the beaner in the room. You know what I mean? It's this really weird thing growing up here in LA. We have every shade of Latino, and sometimes you're not, you're not enough, and sometimes you're too much. And that follows all the way till being a border patrol agent. You know what I mean? And then the dichotomy of being Mexican-American and a border patrol agent confused people, just like it did me back in the day in the conversation with San Brava. I was like, bro, that's weird. And then you start to get it. You know, then you start to really understand, no, man, we do have to protect our country, right? 9-11 happened, the, the, the onset of Homeland Security is now a thing, you know? And, and you start to see the significance of why, it all, why it's all important. And that's where, you know, when, she, when, when, when I questioned why I would do it and I questioned and thought about it, my parents were like, do it, why not? I think it's good. My thought of my grandmother coming across was like always there in the back of my head, like she came here for a reason. And I feel like I'd be disrespectful to not uphold that same belief system of why she came to America and for the opportunity of it. Was it what you thought it was gonna be? You know, I think I thought there was gonna be a lot more like, get out of here, Mexican kind of <laughs> agents, you know what I mean? I thought it was gonna be more of like- So you thought you could be working with some racist fucks? Yes, dude, I genuinely, I thought. But then you get to the academy and it's like 70% Mexicans, right? It's like 70% Hispanics, dude. You're like, oh fuck, we're all, we're all doing this. And then the guys who were white that were Mormon spoke better Spanish than I ever did, bro. And I was like, damn, <laughs> homie. I sat next to this, this dude named Lee. He was spouting out Spanish during the Spanish test and I, I stopped taking the test. I was like, who the fuck is this kid? Speaking fluent Spanish, so I got stuck in the Spanish portion. He goes <laughs> to be a border agent. Full. I was like, man, yeah, dude. It was, uh, it was cool. It was, it was, it was a good career field, and it actually, I think it, I think it put it better into perspective of why a lot of Latinos do the job. Like, you can ask every border agent who is Hispanic, whether they're Mexican, first generation, second generation, doesn't matter. They all really believe in what America stands for. It's to me, it's probably the most patriotic agency in America, because they really believe in protecting the nation. And not on this like political, politicized version of it, right? Not this like bigoted idea. It's like, no, like genuinely like, well, there's policies in place and do, your, do me a favor, follow them or else I have to do my job. You know what I mean? And then the layers on top of that of like human trafficking, drug trafficking, uh, manipulation, you know, all those other things are there too now. You know what I mean? And so then it became a very, multi-dimensional job. So if you watch the news. Yes. Or you're on social media. There's two narratives. Yeah. 
And I'm, and I'm painting with a broom here, people. So yes. give me some room. Yeah. Everything at the border is perfect. Everything at the border is fucked. Those are the two different narratives. And yeah. People can align whatever they want to based off of what side of the aisle that they are on. I feel like both of those narratives are completely fucked and they're weaponized and politicized. I agree. What was your reality actually working at the border? And then I guess the second question on top of that is, why the fuck can't anybody talk openly and honestly about what's happening there? It's great. So my experience at the border, there's obviously an influx of immigration. And immigration, as in immigration, as in people coming across the border in waves, is 100% uh, derived by whatever political policy is in at the moment. And I say that as in there's things that shift in immigration because of circumstance. Part of Texas at one point had a policy in place that was if you come across, you're going to jail for 30 days. Part of uh, San Diego had a policy where like you can come across six times before we actually make you do prison time, jail time. So every part of the border has a different, uh, I guess, position based on the state and the jurisdiction and what is implemented at that time. Crazy part about that is that the communication, right? The you know in the military we call it the Joe Network. Like, the dissemination of information in Mexico is money, son. Because as soon as they know that you'll go to prison here, they shift gears and go here. Yeah. And so then you have a huge influx in another area that's not as strict or that's more lenient on 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 immigration. So then the drug trafficking organizations or smuggling organizations they shift gears and go, right? Because dude, I swear to you, it's within months. Within months, they hear it, boom. You know, at one point before I was a border agent, there was a time when they, was, they were getting, and it's still kind of, kind of similar, they would come across and just ask for their paper. Like, hey, can I get my paper, my paper? And what that meant was like, un papel, un papel. And they knew what that meant was that for them was a thing called a notice to appear, an NTA. And that meant like, okay, we're, over, we're, over, we're overdone here. We don't have space for you, but I'm gonna give you this paper and this is the date to show for the immigration judge to plead your case. Because people are coming over and saying they're political asylum cases. Like, cool, not my job as a border train to determine that. That's, that's another thing, that's not my job. My job is to go ahead and you came over illegally, right? Not at a port of entry. So then I'll do my job and apprehend you because you broke that law. From here, I'm gonna process you based on what you tell me. You say, hey, I'm a political asylum. I was like, oh yeah, really? Let me, let me, let me ask my question, because there's an interview there, because you can't just say, I'm from Mexico and I'm claiming political asylum because I'm from Mexico. Like, well, currently, what we have established in the United States and determines that you are not a political asylum opportunity because of there is no issues in Mexico that we deem that. But in America, like, but we do deem, say, El Salvador, El Salvador at some point, right? So if you're El Salvador and you come across a political asylum, you're like, where are you from, El Salvador? Oh, okay, cool processes this as a political asylum. You still broke the law, right? You still broke the law. You came across illegally, so now you're still getting apprehended for that. And now we're gonna set up your paperwork as such and hand you off to the next people accordingly, which is gonna be ICE um, or deportation, right? They're gonna send them to wherever facility until they wait for the immigration judge to determine their case. The immigration judge will make a determination. So all we do is process that paperwork and hand them off. That's really what we do. Uh, and it only, and it's always determined based on where they were apprehended, where they crossed essentially, and what that state has in order for their political, for their, for their immigration law, uh, and as well as what the kind of the political situation is immigration-wise, right? And so uh, 
so something that like more recent for us during COVID, right? There was a thing called I believe it was called Title 42. I think it was was I don't want to misspeak on that, but I believe that's what it was called. Uh, and what that meant was like now there's a crisis because of COVID, and during that COVID crisis, they they wouldn't be punished as harshly because say they're coming across for medical reasons or whatever the case, right? There's there's this whole argument on that, but either way, that's what that pretty much gave the opportunity. So when people found out like, oh, hey, there's this thing called Title 42. I think it's Title 42. I don't want to speak. I think it is. But let's just use that for reference. Say, oh, the Title 42, this is what it means, right? And so they're like, oh, shit, let's go. Boom. So the big influx you saw at the border is because they knew that there was a different policy in place. And that policy meant that they would be more lenient on them. So like, let's give it a shot. Boom. Huge influx of immigration. Border patrol stations are not built to take on more than a certain amount, which is very low, maybe 25 people. Uh, and so you get over hundreds and thousands and thousands of people like, well, how do you fix that? There's, no, there's nothing in the system that tells them how to manage that besides package, package them up and hand them off to ICE to do whatever they need to do with them, right? So that creates this wave of, of overwhelming uh, situation that the immigration judges didn't have enough, enough uh, capability to see these in time. So you have people that are in holding for a very long time. You know, and so it's like this, it's just anytime that something changes or shifts in the political position or the political um, uh, immigration policy, it creates a whole ripple effect of change down the border. And it's almost always never good for us. You know what I mean? So, so it's been crazy right now. Like they're completely overwhelmed, but as well as like, uh, there is very little happening in the sense of, because of that Title 42, um, there was very little repercussion for coming across. So then. Might as well keep trying. So you kind of had this revolving door of immigration continuing to come across with no repercussions. And so it's hard. That's overwhelming, man. That's exhausting for an agent to continue to try and uphold uh, their job and do the right thing. But in, in the same turn, uh, it's just nonstop. It's exhausting, right? You know what I mean? And then the lack of border change, because a lot of border changes are walking away from the career field because all the, the negative publicity it doesn't feel good when your family tells you, like, oh, you're, you're just like, you know, you're just like the Nazi guy, right? Whether you're holding these kids, like, oh, dude. It's so politicized that it made them uncomfortable and a lot of them didn't want to do their job. And then currently, right now, the border is one of the highest uh, suicide rates based on the, the per capita, right, and in, in, in law enforcement. It's insane. I didn't know Because <laughs> I don't think a lot of people understand how you have immigration, then you have um, uh, homeland security. There's two, 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 two different faces here, right? Sometimes the argument's the same for both. Sometimes it's not. And then you have people fighting over something like, well, wait, you're fighting over the wrong thing. You're talking about immigration, but I'm talking about homeland security. You see what I'm saying? And that's where now you have an even bigger argument here. After 9-11, homeland security became a thing. I think it's very valuable, right? It's kind of TSA and all these things. I think it's valuable. They're a pain in my ass. You know, I get, you know, I get pecker checked all the goddamn time by them, but I'm all, okay, I'll deal with that for the sense of safety. In the border, it's, what do you want me to do? Because right now, I know for a fact, hand to God, know for a fact, you got... People from Africa coming across, you got people from China coming across, you got people from Afghanistan coming across, okay? I'm not saying they're bad, but I'm saying I should probably look into that a little bit, don't you think? Because if we don't, we're setting ourselves up for potential risk. That's homeland security. Immigration is, yeah, there is countries that are struggling with political asylum issues, right? There's countries that, that need support, and we're America. We should be able to take that on, because this is what we do. We're built on immigration. We're built on immigrants, right? And so, yeah, we should look at this. And we should look at this fair, and we should give them an opportunity to come here to America and, and find the same value that we have here, because this is what we're built on. But this and this are two different. And how do you differentiate the two and one border? Someone comes across, I don't know who the fuck they are. 
I don't know what their, what, their, what their intentions are. So all I can do is stop them, apprehend them, process them, and hand them off to the, to the system that we have in place currently. ICE, uh, deportation, immigration judge. That's it. So during this whole political war from, I mean, as continues, you, you, people aren't defining the difference between your Customs and Border Patrol agent over there at the POE, the Border Patrol agent himself, right? The Customs and Border Patrol, Border Protection, the Border Patrol, ICE, and deportation. Right now, it's all one thing, Border Patrol. And they're throwing stones like a motherfucker at Border Patrol, like we're the problem, like Border Patrol's the problem. Border Patrol's like, to me, in my opinion, Border Patrol is the biggest safe haven and human, uh, uh, humanitarian mission in our time. Border Patrol saves more lives and stops more drugs than any organization in the nation. We stop more drugs than the DEA. We actually hand off all of our stuff to the DEA or, or local law enforcement who wants to take the case, right? But that's not, that's not talked about, you know what I mean? That's not talked about how many people we rescue every year from harsh conditions of weather, harsh conditions of the environment, um, and as, as well as any kind of incident that happens on the border. We're doing everything we can from, from rescuing people from drowning, everything. Is that where the Borsar falls in? I'm assuming Absolutely. it's border search and rescue? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so like, it's not my job to question why someone crosses. My job is that if I've, if I've been able to catch you from doing that, I got you. I'm gonna process you and let the immigration policies, whatever's in place, do its job. Don't get mad at me for doing my job. You broke the law, that's it. Even if you're a political asylum, you broke the law, right? If you wanna go the right way, go through the POE, go through the process, that's not breaking the law, you're doing it the right way and you can get that process too. It takes a while, I think that's the biggest problem. Like we do have, we don't have a streamlined approach to this, so that's why there's a lot of frustration. Got it, I get it. But now all these, throughout the years, you have a BORTAC team, which is kind of like the tactical team. Uh, it's like a SWAT team. I got all this gripe because people don't think they're as cool. I think they're dope as fuck, right? I think they're-, they're What are they usually used for though? Multiple different things. So um, we can do basic operations on, uh, in your area, right? It could be um, intel-driven uh, operations to, I, I would say to disrupt drug trafficking organizations. Okay. Boom, right? So that's, that's one of our main missions. Two. Uh, you have the U.S. Marshals who don't have the, the capabilities we do. We'll, we'll do warrants for them. Boom. Anything on the border. We got you. Call us up. We got it. You. you know, um, anything that's a potential fugitive risk to head to Mexico or Canada, it's us. Um, things like that. So pretty much anything in the area that needs it. The active shooter that happened in Uvalde. Yeah. Them. Right. Why? Because they're, they're, within, they're within the area. They have the training. Uh, you know, it's just kind of they're, they're day to day. They work and train every single day. They're, the, they're probably the best suited for that job. And so a, that, tact, a tactical team on top of the traditional Border Patrol. Right. So they all had to be Border Patrol for two years before they did that. So they know how to track groups. They know how to do the job. They know how the process works and everything. But now they got specific training. They've gone through a selection. And now their job is to be the force on the border if needed. And how does Borsar tie into that? So Borsar came in part for the same exact reason of like illegal immigration and, and immigrants getting lost and dying out there from heat, from environment, right? So all that. And so they said, you know what, let's, let's create a team that can help search and rescue for that situation, but as well as a medic for the border patrol agents that are boots on ground. They've transitioned to kind of a search, trauma and rescue to this more well-rounded shooting medic. Close to, if I had a reference, it would be a, a, a PJ, okay. right? Just a good shooting, well-rounded medic. We're two hours from definitive care, almost everywhere you go. 
So you need a medic and boots on who could, do, who, who, who could also do airways if needed, right? Like we had to be able to sustain someone in kind of any kind of trauma, traumatic event before we can get them on a bird or have to drive the whole fucking way there, right? So these, these Borstar dudes have evolved into this really well-rounded shooting medic. Um, and then we started really tying in the tactical medicine with, with uh, Bortac. So for a while, when I first got in there, medics were sitting in the truck while Bortac was doing the mission. And I'm like, yo dog, I am not that dude. I do not want to sit in a truck, put me on the team or get me out of here. And so when I got my, my, when I passed the selection, which we did down by Buzz, and as these fucking dudes are getting smoked, our cadre is making us do the same thing. I'm like, motherfuckers, <laughs> dude. We're chained up and wasting us. I'm like, oh God, dude. They're looking at the beach like, oh, that's a great yeah, That's idea. exactly what they were doing, bro. I swear to God, I was like, <laughs> Could we have done it anywhere else, bro? Yeah, so it was a, it was a tough selection. I had highly respected it, but then yeah, now I'm now I'm operational, and I told him right away, I was like, I want to be a I want to be a tech med dude, and I want to attach with Bortec, um, and so I'm attached with Bortec, and they knew my background. Like we had a little bit of a tiff before, you know, that little bit of a, a shit talk shit. Like I don't want the medic on the X. I'm like, bitch, who has more combat experience than me? Nobody. Shut up. You know yeah. what I mean? It was this really weird ego kind of thing. And when the hydraulic fluid starts leaking, you want the fucking mechanic on the Ready 5. Yeah, but I think there was so much ego at the time with Bortac, and and a lot of those guys didn't have combat experience. A lot of guys weren't military dudes, so they, they, they were raised to believe this was the right way. Yeah. And I think as we started to have more combat experienced dudes, it made only sense like, no, dude, we need the medic. And so now you have this really solid fighting force of Bortacers with dope tac medics who are specific to that field. And, um, you know, I was one of the first dudes to be able to do that and integrate that successfully. There's a few of us, but I was one of the first ones of that. And then eventually, you know, I, um, I got lateral transfer to SOG, which is our, you know, I, I don't want to use the word tier one, but they're the they're higher end. Makes sense. They're, yeah. the they're the national team that could get activated anywhere in the world if needed, because we do conflicts all over. You know, we've had objectives in Africa. We've had it all. Right, and so we were the, the primary like tier one element of the Department of Homeland Security Border Patrol. And, and dude, it was, it, was a, it was a really cool time and we got to do a lot of cool missions and, and really try and do our duty to disrupt and, and, and as well as when we were not disrupting anything, we're out there stopping traffic. You know, we're actually doing the job. And so, um, yeah, the Special Operations Units of the Border Patrol is something that most people don't know of. Um, and, I believe they do now from that active shooter situation down in Uvalde, yeah. Uvalde, man. Yeah. How much legitimacy do you put into, again, it's, it's almost like any conversation around the border has to be framed yeah. left or right, which it, I fucking hate those. Terms. I know. Sometimes you'll hear people talking about like this exigent threat of people crossing the border. I'm going to assume they mean illegally with malicious intent, it's, it largely comes back into the terrorism bubble. Yeah. How much legitimacy do you put into that in your own experience and working in, in the border? Well, during my time, I know for a fact, um, I've been a part of sectors that have apprehended people on the terrorist watch list. So that alone says it. Yes, personally, I've seen it, hands down. And that's one sector and one group that we did get compared to every other sector across America that you miss. A gotaway is not a fucking uncommon term. You're like, yo, got five gotaways right here. You see their footprints all the way to the street, you know, obviously they loaded up, we missed them. That is not uncommon, that's a daily thing. This isn't like we're stopping everybody, we're absolutely not, we're stopping a percentage, but not all of them. And to think that just when we did apprehend some, there was someone on the FBI wanted list, there's a terrorist watch list, there's, there's 
there is child molesters, there is rapists, there is murderers. Like, we're catching all of that. We're also catching people from, like, Afghanistan, Iraq, whether good or bad, right? Some could be, like, Terps that, that were part of us overseas, but now they're getting away from that. You know what I mean? Like, doesn't matter. We are stopping that, you know? And then we're, there's a lot we're not. There's a concern, you know what I mean? Especially if you come from our background. I, I can't be naive to say there's not a concern. There's always a concern. Um, I think there's, I think there's, if, I mean, I don't want to put numbers on it, but if I had to, it'd be like 80, 20, 80% of people are coming across because they just want to get to America and, and live this, 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 you know, this fruitful lifestyle that we have here. And then there's a good 20% that are like, dude, I have to come over illegal because no way I'm going to get here any other way. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that's just the, the, it's the obvious truth of it, man. You know what I mean? And we, there's too many people that don't want to see both sides of immigration and home security. They just want to see one or the other. Right. If you look at only Homeland Security, then you're, you're factoring out the truth of what America is based off of in immigration. And if you're only thinking about immigration, you're leaving out the truth that there could be potential threats. And so we have to look at it in, in two parts. You have a house. You have a door on your house. When people come to your house, you expect them to knock on that door. And then you have a determination whether you're going to let them in or out. We should have the same freedoms. Yeah, I agree. And then you got to add into that the narcotic trade. <laughs> <laughs> Narcotics are crazy, dude. Is it, is it even solvable? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I think... I mean, some of the numbers that they throw out, I think I just saw a report where it was like... I want to say billion, but that number is, seems insane. Like two million fentanyl pills. Like enough to fucking kill everybody, everybody and everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think you're... But then, then I, I read that, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you caught two million. Full disclosure, I've never been a drug smuggler. So right. I throw this out here. <laughs> but if I was to think like that, I would go with... The war of attrition. Yes. I'm going to send so much that I don't care if you caught my two million because the eight other million mm -hmm. made it through. I believe that's exactly what's happening. I believe wholeheartedly, as much as we catch, they get enough across, there is no issue. The cat and mouse game of I'm still getting this across, no stress. I believe if we try and if we are stopping so much that it causes a ripple effect to the cartel, we're going to feel that too in a sense. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. If you're fucking with their money, they'll find a way to figure that out. I, I believe that. But they also, the way things have worked on the border, it's almost like this um, comfortable space of, we get enough cross, we catch enough, everyone, everyone's happy. It's a victory for both sides. Right, exactly. And so think about like, so there's been incidents where, where a border patrol agent was killed on the border from a drug smuggler. I don't believe the intent was ever to do that. It's just one outstanding incident where the, the knucklehead made a bad choice and killed a border agent. What happens is we soup up the security. So now you say it's actually not to their benefit to kill a border absolutely. patrol Absolutely. Yeah, so it becomes three, three times the security now on that whole border while we investigate this whole thing and try and figure this out because now there's a threat, right? Well, then now that stops all traffic for them because now they can't get it across because everywhere you look, we're covering. That's not good for them. What about the same question applied to illegal border crossings versus legal border crossings? And, and the volume of people that you were seeing, I'm going to make an assumption that you probably saw a lot of repeat customers, yes. people trying and trying again. And I, would, I, would, I want to believe as a person that those people who are continuously trying both A, are coming across because they believe in what they can accomplish in their life or achieve yeah. in their life in the United States, and B, are not they don't have, you know, there's something that they're running away from or trying yeah. to flee. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But is it possible for us to have a system that maybe even could drastically reduce the number of people that are making that risk and coming across illegally through our ports of entry? I, I do. You know, you know, if the comfortable port of entry, that's the right way. You know what I mean? We don't have that enough. But why? Well, look at immigration, how long it takes for someone to become a legal immigrant the right way. It takes sometimes 12, 14 years. That's, that's a process that not everyone's willing to manage, right? Who would want to fight? I'd say most. Right, most. So if we're going to try and fix this, we have to fix our immigration policies and how we streamline that process. How do we streamline that process? I don't know, right? But I don't know why 14 years is the number, 12 years is the number they chose. Um, and that's a challenge. If they got a DUI during that time, you're done. Back, right? So, and there's policies in place that if you come over illegally once, then you can't come back for another five years. So if I was gonna try and fix this, I would say the one thing we can do is educate more. So it's not, a lot of people say Mexicans coming across illegally. It's a very small amount of Mexicans actually coming across. It's they're called other than Mexicans. OTMs is the label that's given by cartel and by us, right? We, that's how we label it. Other than Mexicans is everyone south of Mexico or Africa, China. Right, like all these other countries. So that's the majority of people. Honduras, uh, uh, Ecuador, uh, El Salvador, uh, Chile, all those are what's coming across in like massive amounts. You know what I mean? And that's because you know their livelihood is at stake, right? Their livelihood, they're not making the money they want. Yeah, I can't, I can't fault people for trying to better their life. I wish that we could have more open and honest conversations yeah. about immigration without immediately veering off into the left and the right. Yeah. Because as soon as you do that shit, it's over. Yeah, it, it ruins it ruins fair communication and, and, and good debate. You know, I really think we should be we should be educating countries on how to become how to how to immigrate to America legally. We need to be advocates for showing the right path. Here's how you do it. Here's how they tell you to do it, but also remember who they are. They're trying to manipulate. It's a business to them, right? They're not a travel agency. They're 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 a human trafficking organization. So they're making their money whether you make it or not to your destination. And that's the sad truth. You are nothing but a number for them. Now, if you do it this way, it may take longer. But this is how you do it legally. We need to we need to educate. Hands down, that should be a big part of what we do is educate. You want to come to America? We got you. This is what we do. But you got to do it this way. Now, we also got to streamline that process, dude. It can't take 12 years for someone who's genuinely here working their fucking ass that's off. That's psychotic. That's crazy, yeah. right? So that's fucking completely absurd. So what do you, what do you, you tell me it takes 12 years? Like, no, nah, bro, I can do that same thing <laughs> going through Eagle Pass, Texas, dog. You know what I mean? So that's what we have here, right? We have these layers of immigration that are not being addressed, right? The surface level is being changed for every, every political party that comes in party and comes in. Surface level changes that makes everyone feel nice, warm, and fuzzy. But the truth is the deep-rooted immigration policies haven't been changed in many, many years. And that is what we've continued to create this, this, this path. And since human trafficking in itself, like human trafficking smuggling, has become a new business, well, then now, again, it, it becomes so lucrative that they're going to continue to manipulate people and it's until we stop that, which is incredibly hard to do. What was the hardest thing you had to deal with in your time at Border Control? You know, when I was a border agent, you know, you, you can walk up on a dead body, right? In the summers in Texas, it can get up to like 118 degrees sometimes. They're walking sometimes seven hours to seven days, depending on different parts of ranches and locations. And so it's not uncommon for a group to get scattered, uh, get lost, the, 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 the scout or the coyote is what they call them, goes back to Mexico and leaves them all fending for themselves. And they scattered at night because the border agent rolled close to them. And then during the day, they're trying to find their way to some kind of sanctuary and they, they, they end up falling and dying because of dehydration. 
Not uncommon. I'm talking 30 to 60 times a fucking summer. You'll find that. That's, that's a lot. That's insane. And then there's people that come across, a, a lot of uh, the illegal immigrants coming across that I've had experience with don't swim well. And so that's a risk every time. You have to fucking have a heart for that dog. They want this so bad, they're willing to risk everything for it. I feel for that. I feel for that in a very profound level of like, God, I won the lottery ticket being born here. And they didn't. And I'm not mad at them making that choice. But I am mad when they've put themselves in harm's way and risked everything for it. It bothers me, dude, because I don't want that for anyone, dog. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone dying trying to risk themselves to become an American citizen. But it happens daily, dude, and it's fucked up, dude. It's hard to watch and hard to know. And, um, and so I have compassion. I have, I have a lot of empathy for, for how much people are willing to risk coming here. And you've got to appreciate this country that much more. Imagine what it would take standing at the edge of a body of water and you know you can't fucking swim. Yeah. Imagine how much value or how much belief that you would have to have on what is on the other side of that body of water to risk it. Yes, exactly. And I believe, I personally believe that that is what our country still is. I think we are still Absolutely. worth that. And I wish more people would take the time to think about it from that perspective. Put yourself in somebody's shoes in that situation. What would it take for you in your own life using this pond that nobody would ever be able to see since, <laughs> yeah. you know, but to, and let's say it's, there are probably sections that are that far, but what in your life do you want enough that you're willing to literally put it all on the line and try to get across this knowing you can't fucking swim? Bro. I don't think most people ever are faced with something like that. No. Or even if they are, I don't think most of them would get their feet wet. It's, dude, it is. fucking hard to watch man you know my buddy told me a story that I, I had nightmares on dude he works on the boat crew and a mom can't swim she's up to her chest in water and throws her fucking baby at him and he fucking catches the baby and he's like what the fuck he's yelling at her in Spanish like, what the fuck is wrong are you crazy what the fuck and she said you don't know my life and he's like fuck no, it's not my place to question. It's none of our place to question why people do that, dog. None of ours. Border Patrol agent does his job. You apprehend him, process him, whatever the immigration policy at the time is what happens. And we, we can't do nothing other than have empathy and have gratitude for the fact that we have this opportunity. And these people are dying for it, dude. They're fucking dying. They're risking everything for it. Just to have their kid have an opportunity like us. But we have something special here, man. That's why we have this issue. We have something special here. That's why everyone's fucking dying to come here. There's beautiful value in America. And if you use it right, if you do it right, it's gorgeous and your whole family gets to eat and they get to live a very, very fruitful life compared to what they would have had. How do we tell that story without it getting lost in politics? Because I feel like that's the big, it's like you, you start trying to say that and then it becomes hijacked and thrown into it. That's the problem, man. Like, 
I'm scared as fuck of just being saying this conversation of what someone else is gonna pull from it, right? They're gonna take a small snippet of this conversation and turn it into like this most, who knows, racist or whatever it is, and all of a sudden they demonize me for being a guy just speaking the truth, right? Like that's the saddest thing we have in America right now is that people take snippets of conversations and turn it into a narrative that is completely false and they destroy people for that. And all I'm saying is like, dude, we have a beautiful country and people are dying to get here. That makes me value more of what I have. And two, it makes me empathetic for those who are trying and how can we fix that situation? That's it. You know, and how can we not demonize someone who's doing their job to try and protect the country from potential threats? It's the most like dynamic argument you can find that everyone will have a different viewpoint and everyone can find a reason to hate it, love it, whatever the case. And there's just the, it's, it's impossible to tell this in a way where everyone's gonna be happy. You live out in Utah, I live in Montana. The odds of you and I having a national level change. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's you and I, <laughs> it's still zero, but <laughs> yeah. no, it's, but what I can do is I can get deeply involved where I actually live. Yes. And that is the theory that I think is the only one that actually has traction. And, and that's the, the, the stumbling point that I find for a lot of people is they get wrapped up in the national argument and they forget that they have an actual large amount of impact they can have at a local level. Absolutely. I don't know how that necessarily applies to immigration, but I just, that when people feel overwhelmed and powerless, I feel like it ends up, they just sit there and they're just, again, on that anxiety cube, yeah. just scrolling away, believing well, everything that they see. You know, it does help with immigration, right? It does, we do have policies that are specific to Texas. We do have policies that are specific to California. And so if you want changes in those, we have to be a fighting force for that, right? You have to fight that. Um, it's a, all of this stuff is, is, is such a, these are all hard conversations, you know what I mean? And I don't think we have it enough. You know, I hope people watch this and actually learn something of the viewpoint that I'm coming from and not that I'm coming from any other angle of like, here's my experience and what I believe, because I'm not here to fight no one on this topic. I want this to be fixed. You know what I mean? I want us to have a safe country and a, and a country that allows immigrants to come in here and be, be fruitful and be, be successful. That's what I want. I want both. I'm a fan for both of those to happen. You know what I mean? And whatever gets us to that point, I'm all in. But as it stands now, they're both in, in, a, in a very bad place, and I don't know how we can turn back from that now. I think at best you'll get 90% of both. I don't think 100% of both is possible. Right. Probably just based off of the way that they interface with each other or the systems. But yeah, I think we could do better. On I, I agree. For sure. How can people support the Border Patrol? I, th I think as they, as they read up on it and they learn about it, they understand it, um, we stop using them as the focal point of the, the po political fight left or right, I don't care, just stop using them. They use their image, they use their likeness. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I think we need support on the border in the sense of like right now, there's such a lack of border patrol agents in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the border because people are so afraid of the job now. They're actually having, uh, you know, they're having issues with keeping border patrol agents on the job because of all the, the shit that came down on them that had nothing to do with them. And so like what I would, I would say, if you're in the military and you're getting out soon, you're looking for a career field that pays well and is freaking, I said, it is a beautiful career field, Border Patrol. If you're a foreign- Does it tie into the federal uh, pension system as well? Does military you can buy, time You can buy into it, yes. Okay, cool. You can buy into it. So there's a chance to not lose your time if you didn't do a full time? Yeah, absolutely. You buy into it, you have to pay a certain amount of money based on how many years, yeah. boom. 
you know? Uh, it is hands down, if you're special operations, you're looking for to kind of continue to do that, but in your own country, somewhere you're home more often, special operations of the border patrol. The best kept secret in the fucking nation. We get paid well, right? We're one of the top, top paying federal jobs in the nation. Again, I mean, you can compete with FBI pay. You know, it's a good career field, and I believe it is one of the most American jobs you can have that I really, really wholeheartedly feel is doing right by even illegal immigrants. That's what I believe. Why'd you decide to leave? Um, I was on the top team of the Border Patrol. We were... I was the medic for Bortec, and we had the opportunity to go help track, uh, to go help um, track down uh, the two escaped convicts, convicts in New York, Matt and Sweat, in 2015. They, 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 in 2015, they escaped prison. They had a relationship with one of the corrections officers. They convinced her. They escaped the prison, and we went on a manhunt. And so during that manhunt, we went about seven days and no luck. We came up on a lot of dry holes. Essentially, the intel was good, but we were too late. So my daughter's birthday, we talked about this before we even started filming, is like how much I've missed and how much we've missed in our kids' lives. And I was really trying to be a more present father, right? As I'm on that path of trying to figure that out. Um, my daughter's birthday was coming up and we were doing this luau and um, you know, I already ordered the jumping bounds. I ordered the, 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 the little Hawaiian skirt and all that for all of us. And, and um, I just got back from training with other three-letter agencies. My stuff was still packed, and I get the call, like, yo, they're activating us to go. I was like, oh, shit, man. It's been a few days. I'm surprised it took so long, you know? Packed up, and we jumped over there. So as these seven days pass of no traffic, we're missing, you know, we're doing boat ops, we're doing aerosol ops, we're doing all these things. We're, 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 we're hiking into locations where we heard they're at. Um, we ended up coming into a dry hole on, I believe it was like a Friday. Um, they said, hey, we're going to take the weekend off, and if we get no word by Sunday of new intel, we're redeploying on Monday. So I, my daughter's birthday was on that Saturday. I said, hey, I told my supervisor, I said, do you mind if I fly home a day early? I had this birthday planned for my daughter, and I'd love to be there. Um, we went out and did karaoke that night, and then the morning I flew home, and as I'm home, cutting up some of the vegetables. And I get emotional about this, man, because it's, it it's always been a hard decision for me. Um, I saw in the news that a Bortac, uh, Border Patrol Special Operations um, has captured one of the men, and they engaged on him and shot and killed him. And at the same time, I used to be the, kind of the, the officer that they called in case of any kind of traumatic events. I was part of a trained group that um, that would be a kind of response team for that stuff. And so I got a call from him for two parts. One to tell me that he's been in engagement, and then two, that it was him. And I'm like, fuck. Being the medic for a special operations team, being completely committed to these dudes, and then taking the day off, and then them getting into an engagement, it ate me alive, dude. It ate me alive. It ate me alive because, like I said earlier, I believed in, in, in the fight uh, to die for anything. And the same when the Border Patrol, I believed in that. I'll die for anyone on my team. Left and right. Don't care what the policies. Are, I don't care nothing. Those dudes were who I was supposed to cover. Those dudes is who I was supposed to be the medic for. And those dudes are the dudes I uh, 
I turned my back on thinking family was more important and uh, I left them hanging in a moment they needed me or I felt they did. And uh, it fucking bothers me still to this day, dude, that similar to my last deployment in, in, in Range Battalion, I was kind of half-assed medic for these dudes, you know what I'm saying? And when I walked away to pick family first, I didn't think it would, never in a million years, dude, did I think it would be at the sacrifice of them getting into engagement. Just never thought it would happen, man. And so I resigned two weeks later. How does that sit with you today? It's the right choice. Hands down, right choice. Hands down. Uh, my family's so cool, man. And my fucking, that same daughter this year was a three-time state champ wrestler. Like, dude, she's bad. I, like, the family's cool, man. And my kids are great. And they have, I was there. I carried her. You know what I mean? Like, I've been there. But if I didn't make that choice then, dude, I don't think I ever would have made that choice. And I would have continued to live that kind of lifestyle, dude, and continue to miss everything important to them and continue to just pay the bills and never be a relevant father in their life. And that was a big pivoting moment in my life. And I don't think everyone gets that opportunity. I don't think everyone has that insight or, or that perspective at the time. So I was very fortunate that a lot of things were happening in my life for me to make that choice when I did. Um, and I, I don't regret it in the sense of I've been able to be a part of a lot of special things in my kids' lives. I would have regretted to continue to be a half-ass medic for a team that needed me. You still believe in what this country stands for? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've, I've never turned my back on that thought. Um, it's a hard time right now, dude. It's a hard time to look at the, everything that's going on and be like, damn, I'm proud. I'm proud, man. I still pay my bills. I still believe in the heart and soul of it. And, and like I said earlier from illegal immigration, how much people want to come here, you have to believe in what we have here. Have to. All right, everybody. Hopefully you found that interview to be interesting and it piqued your interest into what is actually going on at our borders, both Southern and Northern. If you want to learn a little bit more about the work that the Border Patrol does, I recommend you go directly to their website. Again, you could also read or pick up Rocco's book, which is called Borderline, Defending the Home Front, which is going to release this fall. And like we mentioned in the interview, one of the most effective ways to enact change on the issue is to vote, both on a federal level and at the local election level. And that's it for this week. See you guys next week. 